I am Dr. Marion Matthews, and I am a senior behavioral and social scientist for the RAND Corporation. And part of what I do is look into um, the line and subversive information efforts, what could be called propaganda uh, and so forth. Hi, listeners. We just took a look at the calendar and saw that we're heading towards our summer break. We're going to be off all of August, so today's show and the show in two weeks are going to be the last for our first season. Well, our first season. Do you remember our first podcast episode? Right. We asked Dr. Samantha Vanderslot and Professor Jason Reifler about how to estimate the size of the anti-vaccination movement. Yeah, that was so interesting when Jonathan Kennedy introduced us to the idea of fence-sitters, which are people who are neither 100% pro-vaccination or totally against it. And what I think is the most interesting thing is that's actually the biggest group of people of all. Yes, you're right. Do you remember episode four? Alice Rasimenka told us about the behavior of QAnon and other secretive groups. Oh yeah, that was a really interesting episode. We also had a lot of positive feedback on episode six, where we talked about how Russia is spreading negative information on vaccines made by Western countries. Yes, and I thought we'll listen to a complete interview with Dr. Miriam Matthews of RAND Corporation, who published a report on disinformation, because she had so many interesting things to say. Join me, Eva von Schaper, and my colleague, Daiva Repitschkaita, as we comb through research to find out what you can do and what our governments can do to stop the spread of disinformation. Because we believe that knowing about disinformation is the only way to protect ourselves against it. We believe this is one of the most important fights of the future because so much is at stake. Welcome to The Inoculation, the podcast that gives you the facts about disinformation. We just wanted to take a minute to welcome our new listeners. Hello, and thank you for your interest in our show. If you like it, please tell your families, your coworkers, and your neighbors. We really need your help to get the word out about our show. Okay, so back to today's episode with Miriam. So first, I was really interested in knowing more about Miriam's professional background. So look into persuasion and influence and the different factors that can, can lead people to be persuaded to change their attitudes or to form certain attitudes or opinions and so forth. What else did you talk about? Well, I wanted to know if Russian disinformation or misinformation or propaganda is something completely new. Um, this has been something that Russia in particular has been engaging in, um, kind of the spread, the sometimes creation, definitely spread of information that is incorrect completely or slightly incorrect or misleading, uh, such that it might be you know, certain bits of it um, are based in reality and placed um, in uh, a context that is completely incorrect. So, no, this is this has been going on for quite some time. And in earlier work, uh, a colleague and I, Chris Paul, we wrote a piece on Russia's fire hose of falsehood, uh, such that Russia in particular um, tends to get information uh, that is misleading and false uh, 
out very quickly and, and does so just without the intent of having consistency across these different messages, just a lot of information that is misleading, incorrect, um, and just putting it all out there so that it makes it very challenging to, um, to for individuals to be able to really tease apart which of these which of these messages are true or false, what parts of the messages are true or false, just because there's so much of it. Oh, that image of the fire hose is really great, isn't it? Oh, it sure is. And I also was wondering if countering disinformation is as easy as maybe just not choosing RT as my news channel. And here's what Dr. Matthews had to say. No, not at all. Um, so there is the element of know that there are certain certain channels that are directly connected to Russia or somewhat indirectly connected to Russia, uh, including RT, as you mentioned, um, Sputnik, so forth. Um, but then there's also the dissemination of messages through other sources where it's not it's not quite so clear that these are connected to Russia or its agents. So these sources can include things like Facebook and Twitter and so forth. Um, and, you know, new websites that pop up and it's hard to, it's hard to address each of those as they're coming up, um, this diversity of sources. So them, you can inform people, this source we know is connected to Russia, uh, and it has put forth uh, messages that are questionable at best uh, and others that we know are completely false. So that we can do, but then all of the other things that come up, uh, you know, a new a new tweet, a new uh, something from a new Facebook element, those sorts of things, it's very hard to address those, to find them and rapidly and quickly um, those down when they're when they're being so. Um, uh, I guess, the first in terms of the dissemination of information. Are those the only channels Russians are using? No, uh, no, no, no. So um, as we mentioned in the report, some of the things, um, so of course, RT America, uh, because our report, just to rewind, it focuses on the uh, malign and subversive information from China and Russia on COVID-19 that's going to or could potentially be reaching U.S. audiences. And so within our report, what we focus on are the different channels or uh, sources where U.S. audiences might be exposed to this information. And then if they're exposed, potentially influenced by it. So some of the things that we identified include, of course, RT America, Sputnik, uh, associated Facebook and YouTube channels. Uh, then there's Southfront Newsfront. Um, Global Research, uh, Strategic Culture Foundation, One World Press, all of these sorts of things. Um, so multiple different sources. Uh, and things can also come out from, um, you know, from individuals in positions of authority or uh, political positions within the country as well. And they are, they're separate. They're separate speeches, uh, tweets, uh, Facebook messages, and so forth. And then I wanted to know if these messages are concentrated just on one side of the U.S. political spectrum. No, uh, that is not what we what we found, at least in our review. It's not that there is uh, this effort to target, for example, the left or target the right or whatnot. Instead, it appears more of an effort to get fringe ideas could, some of them might appeal to the right, some of them might appeal to the left and get those out. Um, and 
disseminated to larger audiences. So, for example, there might be something from a fringe individual or site that um, that Russia and its agents appear to pick up on, and then while normally that would uh, remain with that one individual or, or very few people would be exposed to that message, what Russia uh, appears to do is find that and then spread it widely, uh, and so as more people are exposed to that, then that can lead to more divisiveness and and um, lead to more individuals potentially believing this information that they normally wouldn't have been exposed to because it's from some fringe individual or fringe site. Okay, and Dr. Matthews also broke down the type of messages that we see coming from Russia. Yeah, so I think in doing that, I also have to speak to timelines. So exactly kind of right. how the different types of messages varied over time. Our focus is kind of more on the early pandemic um, in the early 2020, first part of that year, and looking to identify who and what and when and so forth. So during that time, what we um, what we found was that when people there was a lot of confusion and uncertainty about the pandemic and what it's uh, what it was and what people should be doing. At that time, we saw a lot of Russian-linked messaging that, that emphasized conspiracy theories. Uh, and there are all kinds of different conspiracy theories that were that were being promoted by Russia. Uh, and so I, I won't go into depth about those, but what it seems to be is that uh, you know, people were looking to understand what was happening and so they were globbing on to these conspiracy theories because they were, those those things were providing some sort of, uh, albeit incorrect and completely misleading, some sort of messaging that seemed to provide people with some certainty. Early in the pandemic when there weren't as many kind of straightforward messages about what to do and how to do it and when to do it, and people were confused about the pandemic, uh, Russia was putting forth these conspiracy theories and people were um, – Apparently, um, they were appreciative of those and um, uh, seeking out those kinds of things. As as it became, as more information came out and people began to learn more about the pandemic and responses to it, um, then uh, Russia appeared to shift to more of what might be called propaganda. So, uh, providing kind of overtly negative and disseminating overtly negative messages about. United States and its response, and so the supposed inefficiencies within the medical system or um, inadequacy, inadequacy of measures to curb the pandemic or potential economic implications, and somewhat interestingly, um, promoting other countries, including China, as doing so much better in terms of addressing the pandemic and response. This doesn't, at least from what we can see, it doesn't appear to be something where uh, Russia really intended to create some sort of collaboration with China and said it was just an immediate force that could be referenced and compared to the United States. So it wasn't that there was uh, some sort of uh, some effort between Russia and China to work together and said just more out of convenience. Uh, Russia was also putting forth messages about how, how great China was doing uh, comparatively to the United States. And who are the people who unknowingly spread these messages? In in my head, I have this idea that they might be, you know, crunchy yoga moms. And to be honest, I'm a bit of a yoga mom myself. 
So what did Mary Matthews have to say about that? Well, I want to speak to the criteria, the yoga moms in particular. So that's kind of what misinformation is considered to be um, often. It's not um, that somebody has intentionally created uh, some false or misleading message and is disseminating it. Instead, they've been exposed to a message that might have been intentionally created to be false, and they don't know it. Um, and there are various reasons why they might know it, not know it. They just, it happens to support something that they, that they are with or that they were suspicious of. So even though it's false, they, they don't know it. Um, and they're just gonna, they're gonna go ahead and support that, uh, because it seems to make sense to them. Or maybe they, they don't have the time or the, um, motivation to really carefully consider, are there typos in this? Is this, how does this, conflict with what I'm hearing from official U.S. sources and and all of that. So this challenge of really being able to identify true versus um, somewhat true versus false versus somewhat false, like being able to understand that spectrum of information and clearly um, have literacy in terms of evaluating these these false messages. So absolutely, a large part of this comes from people who don't know that what they, they've been exposed to is actually incredibly false, misleading, um, potentially very damaging and harmful, um, and they just assume that it is it is the truth. Um, and that could be because it looks like it's coming from an official source, it looks like an official news source, or it uh, incorrectly says that this information came from some sort of government person or a medical individual or, you know, all of these different options. And so they assume based on these bits of the messages that they're actually true when in reality, if you if you really dug into this or you checked a source or you saw that there were these misalignments throughout the message, it, it would be a little bit more clear that this is false and these individuals would hopefully be you know um aware of this more so a lot of it is just um just lack of knowledge so can we say that we see clearly how russia is trying to sow chaos in the u.s uh through the dissemination of these these different types of messages to these audiences so for example for some of these it's it's going into uh a particular kind of political environment and then making it even more polarized, going uh, by disseminating these fringe messages, these incorrect messages to large audiences, not focusing on just the right or just the left. It makes it a more divisive and polarized environment. It makes it more, something more where it's difficult for people to um, to come to a common understanding uh, and contributes to kind of this receptivity to conspiracy messaging and painting the uh, U.S. and uh, the various responses to and and vaccines in a negative light, uh, which could be quite harmful, and it leads to this uh, uncertainty and, and mistrust. Then I really wanted to know, seeing people who don't want to be vaccinated or don't want to wear masks, if this was something that just plainly happened, or if we can say this is exactly what Russia had planned. So is this something that happened by chance and Russia is quite happy about it, or is something else going on? Uh, so what we've been seeing from Russian messaging isn't necessarily that there is like there's a uh, clear and certain plan with regard to 
masks, for example, or with regard to these certain behaviors or elements. Uh, instead, it is this rapid, massive dissemination of whatever kind of information can lead to greater divisiveness. And there's a lot of uh, divisiveness about masks. So then you can see some associated messaging from Russia, which can help to help to create that, that kind of help to create a larger divide. So it's it's people that already have questions, is at least what what we're seeing, um, uh, maybe some confusion, want some information on this, and then they get this incorrect information about um, mask wearing, about um, social distancing, uh, and and then that contributes even more to uh, stronger emotions and feelings and greater divides and um, more confusion and um, just creates a more kind of chaotic environment. At the end of the day, basically, you're kind of making it easier for, let's just say, fringe candidates to become more successful in upcoming elections, just because there's so much distrust in the current government, for example. Uh, it's possible. You're certainly making it, um, some of their fringe messages. You're, by disseminating them more widely from a greater variety of sources, that can contribute to people believing that there's more validity in them when in reality it's just false messaging, misleading messaging being disseminated from a larger variety of sources and then being further disseminated by people that don't know that it's false. So they just keep uh, spreading it. From Miriam's report, it sounds like, you know, Russia is very active in this. China is maybe a bit less so. So Russia's intent, the objectives behind it appear to be to sow distrust, to amplify divides, to the information space discredit the U.S. So these are the things that I think so far we've discussed, the various elements that it appears like Russia is doing. So what China is doing, by contrast, really appears to be promoting China uh, and doing that uh, consistency across various sources, um, you know, defending China and promoting China. With that consistency of messaging, we don't see that there's this real intent to do all these other things, to, um, you know, create internal divides in the U.S., where the objective isn't necessarily about about doing things to the United States as much. It's more about defending China. So to the extent that China feels attacked by the United States, then sure, for the subsequent perceived response to this, but not not this fire hose from Russia and said there's a lot more consistency and because of that it really might resonate with fewer audiences because when you have Russia's side putting out whatever kind of messages seem to stick and to make these internal divides greater from China's side it's really just consistent across all these sources China is doing such a great job. Look at how China is doing in comparison to the United States. Like China, China, China. And then I really wanted to know if there is a way to think about these operations. You know, do we have people sitting somewhere in a room full of computers? Or are these bots? How can I visualize what's happening? Well, uh, there is previous evidence, and, and, and this is also part of the firehose piece, that yeah, there are people in rooms sitting in front of computers just trying to get out massive amounts of uh, misleading and false information. There are also bots, and we also have research on that um, that has, has shown that, yes, um, there appear to be bots that are, um, and, you know, there are active attempts to identify and find them and uh, take them down. 
but then new bots are created. So it's, it's this constant effort of trying to take those down, just a constant effort of trying to find these, these new profiles or these new whatnots that are uh, being created. What can we do if I see, for example, a parent or an aunt or neighbor believing those things? Great questions. So first off, um, particularly for conspiracy theories, they are very challenging to directly address. So for, if you say that conspiracy theory is incorrect, then the person that believes it, um, their subsequent response is, oh, you're just supporting the conspiracy or you're just part of whatever it is, uh, this, this higher source. Um, and if you don't uh, address it, then they also assume that this conspiracy theory is true. So conspiracy theories are very challenging to address. What might be better for individuals and for governments is to more rapidly and continuously get out correct information. Uh, and so correct information about the vaccine uh, and correct information about social distancing and mask wearing and, and all of these sorts of things. Rapidly quickly, continuously providing that kind of information, directly refuting something or, uh, and I've tried to, as you probably noticed throughout this conversation, try to be careful about identifying what incorrect messages are and putting those out. That, that kind of thing helps to further that messaging, helps to further those conspiracy theories. So by telling people, here's the conspiracy theory and its faults, after, after a few days, what, what we know from uh, the psychological literature is that people can disconnect, that it's false from the message, and they just remember the message. And so then that message just keeps on being disseminated. So I would not recommend doing that, putting forth these messages and saying that's false, because people will disconnect that and they'll just remember the message. Instead of putting the true uh, what we, or at least to the best of our knowledge, putting that out there quickly and uh, rapidly um, and continuously is is one good tactic of, of going about it. If there is an absolute necessity to um, to there's some sort of message that is being put out so much and it's so uh, so damaging that you have to directly refute it, then there has to be uh, a subsequent providing of information that people can they'll blob onto that new information instead they'll they'll be able to connect to that because people essentially they like to have consistency in how they see the world and their stories and so if you take this incorrect this conspiracy theory or this misleading message and you just say it's incorrect that that leaves a gap in their mind of well then how do i connect this information so you need to provide them with true correct information that can sort of fill that in that can um, help to create uh, that consistency again. So I then asked Dr. Matthews if it would be best that the information come from doctors or the government, or maybe rather people from my social circle. Is there any research about that? Do we know what is the most effective thing? We do know things about that, actually. Uh, we do know that, you know, coming from official sources, that is something that people find persuasive. When a source that is considered to know about the topic is believed to know about the topic, and they are then subsequently speaking to the topic that they're an expert in, that is considered to be persuasive. Uh, in addition, we also know, at least from the social aspect, and there is messaging that is coming from 
a large number of people's end group, you know, from their friends, from their family, from their social circles, um, that can also be persuasive. Someone who might not have a lot of information or they might have some incorrect ideas when, when they're coming from a, some sort of counter messaging from a large number of people in their in group, in their social circle, that can also be persuasive. And how about things we find on the internet? So if I go online and I see something where I think, well, this sounds weird, but it could be true. How do I go about it if I'm not an expert in, you know, immunology or masks? What do I do? How do I verify information? Well, I think the first, if if the real intent is to understand, this seems a little off and to understand, is there some validity? Is there some truth behind this? So some of it is just reading that uh, information that's uh, being put there, even just finding lots of typos or um, seeing that somebody is connected to a source that like to a organization or a company that doesn't actually exist. That, that should raise some, raise some alarms. Um, typos, existent companies and organizations or citing, uh, citing some kinds of um, uh, you know, official government sources, go to those sources and see if they're actually saying that. Also an awareness of where this is coming from. So we, as I already mentioned, RT America, Sputnik, um, those we know are connected to Russia. There are other sources connected to Russia and its agents. Uh, having an awareness of where this information is put or if it's an article and it's connected back to one of those sources, those are the kinds of things where you can say, well, I don't know if this um, is quite true, so uh, take it with a huge grain of salt and don't just don't just assume that this is true. Uh, I think that would be one of the main things to do: is be aware of the sources and be aware of the content. Really take time if this is something that you want to 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 understand better. Take time. Um, to see if these messages have some disconnect throughout the messaging, if they have some typos, if they're, if they're exciting um, sources you've never heard before. Uh, these are all indications that something um, might be off. And is there any way to know how effective these messages are? This is what Dr. Matthew said. Yeah, so that's the... At least when um, determining the effectiveness of these efforts is probably one of the hardest things to do. Um, like, because what we can, we can determine, we determine who's disseminating messages, what messages that they're disseminating. And to some extent, for example, um, we can see on uh, Twitter or, you know, Facebook, um, about how many people, um, might have been directly exposed, but then, but then it's very hard to know, even if you're exposed, have, has your, have your attitudes actually been changed? Or, as you mentioned, you might read some message that seemed off, and immediately you know that this is, this is silly. So you've been exposed to it, but we're able to immediately discredit it, and it had absolutely no influence on you. So that's not, one might not think of that as being effective. Uh, and that's where we're having, and I think everyone is having, it's very challenging to determine uh, overall exposure, uh, it might be direct exposure or you as a person that might have been influenced and then go on to tell your Aunt Sally that you you saw this message. And so it might have a greater dissemination that is very hard to identify, to see that. Uh, and um, Or you might be exposed and it really didn't have any effect whatsoever. 
Well, there's the exposure element, and then there's the actual influence element of changing attitudes or changing behaviors. Uh, what we can see is this just consistent fire hose of false information. It's just whatever um, people, whatever the, the topic is at that moment that, you know, really seems to be on the, uh, the focus on people's minds, um, that's, that's what we see coming. So I think we can see some consistency there. Um, and and we can see if that continues on as other things, as other topics arise. But you know, at least that seems to be relatively consistent. If you want to hear more stories about vaccine hesitancy, you can look up the inoculation wherever you like to listen to podcasts. Don't forget to subscribe to our newsletter, Inoculated. The link is in the show notes. You can follow us on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and Twitter. Our reporting is supported by journalismfund.eu, Media Lab Bayern, and Topfish Stiftung. We'll be back in two weeks. Bye for now.